Hi, everybody. It's Scott. We're taking a break this week. Back next week with a new interview with entrepreneur Mercy Grace. Until then, I think you'll enjoy this interview with Human Radvar. It originally ran in October of 2021. But that was my moment. That was when I realized this is what I want to do. Then they took it away and the bottom dropped out. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This week, Human Radford, co-founder and CEO of Collective, as well as venture partner at Expa and early investor in what were at the time brand new startups Uber and SpaceX. And I looked this up. Your name in Persian means benevolent and good-natured. I, I try. I try. Well, you, you'll let me know. At the end, you can ask. You, you can tell me if uh, that's the truth. <laughs> now, tell me about your first name. It's, it's very close to human uh, and benevolent and good-natured. I wish all humans were. So uh, it is very close to human. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story. I was actually born in London. Uh, you can probably tell from my awesome accent. Um, but uh, on my birth certificate, I believe my name was spelled pretty much human. You know, British people, right? 1980. Sure. My parents, being Persian immigrants, say my name. That's how they spelled it. Um, and so there you go. So when I moved to the States, I think they issued me a new birth certificate. And my parents changed the spelling to H-O-O from H-U-M-A-N because they thought, well, we don't want kids to pick on him. <laughs> did, did, Just, did, did it help? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I I love my parents, but I think yeah. uh, you know they missed a cultural beat or two in that assessment. It, it could have been Steve or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they they didn't they missed the mark. Like uh, you know, but uh, they're great. They're great, and uh, they did their best. But uh, <laughs> you know, it builds character to have a a, a name like Human in Pittsburgh. I think you're too young to remember Mr. Magoo, who was this cartoon character. He was. Had terrible eyesight, and so he would get into all kinds of scrapes. Oh, I remember Mr. Magoo. I'm a big uh, cartoon guy. Oh, listen to them. They're yelling Magoo. Ha! Oh, they love me. Excellent. And so, uh, uh, you know, that, that's exactly what people would call me because it's Mick Grew, but they would call me Mr. Magoo. Uh, and, and not in a nice way either, right? 
Uh, and the, the defense I came up with was, you know, as I recalled, he had a dog. And could anybody remember the name of his dog? Of course, this is before Google. Uh, you know, hey, yeah, no, Mr. Magoo, I love that guy. Do you remember the name of his dog? Because when I get a dog, I'm totally naming it that. And it usually kind of uh, disarmed them. You know, it, it, it made the joke, you know, hurt a little less because I was turning it around on them. Well, anytime you feel bad or you have some sort of uh, trauma that surfaces, just remember your parents gave you Scott, you know, <laughs> so uh, you could all, you could have had Hooman. Could have had Hooman. Uh, now, your, your family you did um, flee the Iranian Revolution. Uh, as you mentioned, you were born in, in London, so your mom was pregnant at the time, right? That's right, yeah. Um, my father uh, and mother left, I think it was within like a week or two of that famous incident where they raided the embassy. If you've seen Argo, the movie with oh, yeah, Ben no, Affleck. I, I, yeah, that, I was probably 13 that's the, at the time, yeah. That's the moment. Now, anyone who knows Hooman knows why he referenced a movie, Argo, when talking about the seizure of the American embassy in Tehran. Actions of Iran have shocked the civilized world. First of all, for him, it's history. He didn't watch it unfold live on television like I did. It's before his time. To be held as hostages. Secondly, Hooman loves movies. When I mentioned the Iranian Revolution, you immediately mentioned the movie Argo. Now, I'm older than you are, so I would have been in junior high during the uh, hostage situation, et cetera. So, so I remember it well, but people who know you well w wouldn't be surprised that you use the movie as the, as the way of illustrating the point. You are way into movies. That's right. That's right. I am, uh, I'm actually obsessed with movies. Uh, yeah, to a give point me an example mania. of what somebody who's obsessed with movies you know, some, some sort of obscure fact or, 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 you know, tell me without telling me you're obsessed with movies that you're obsessed with movies. I'll give you a game that uh, my fiance and I play. So every time there's a movie, uh, we'll go through as the cast is kind of getting introduced, you know what I mean? Throughout sure. the, the setup of the plot. And I can tell you every, you know, I'll say, okay, what movie was this person in? <laughs> and we can go through everything. Like I can do the whole network of what they've been in. And I'll, my, my current superpower, which I've developed over many years, is I could probably place someone from, like, say they were a kid in a movie. I could, you know, when they're an older person, I could be like, oh, that person was a kid in this movie and, and go all the way back. So uh, I'm a pretty visual person. I drew since I was a little kid, um, big comic geek. And so I guess that kind of tuned me there. But uh, in another life, you know, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm a movie producer uh, versus, you know, building companies. Because I think it's, you know, building a company is a creative endeavor. It's just a different yeah. medium at the end of the day. And so I look at it like you have a pencil, you have a guitar, or you have, you know, you have Excel and, and code. And there are all just you, you taking produce, things from here. You could produce movies. I mean, there are plenty of uh, people in tech, Elon Musk included, who have been at some point a movie producer. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, I, I'm starting to invest a bit in projects to learn, um, much like I did early in um, investing. You know, I took some of the money I'd made in my first company and I just started doing angel, which now has become much more prominent part of my life. But the best way to learn is to, is to dive in, right. Put skin yeah. in the game and uh, get burned. So uh, it, it's, it's a tough, pro it's a tough industry though. And I don't think people appreciate how much goes into, I mean, just imagine one of these Marvel movies. I mean, there are yeah. thousands of people that have to work to make like the, some of these moments, like I am Iron Man. Truth is I am Iron Man. You know, it yeah. looks simple, uh, what a line, but to manifest that, 
it took about thousands of people over 10 years to manifest that one moment of catharsis. It's, it's unbelievable. Like the art is, un- I, I think, you know, Scorsese dings the Marvel movies. I, I think it's unfair. It's, 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 a, it's a symphony. You did get into the movie business a little bit uh, many, many years ago with the classic story of you owed the video store 80 bucks. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I, I, I tried. I tried, I should say. Um, my first non-company, I should say, because it never got <laughs> off the ground. So when I was in uh, undergrad, I went to uh, Penn and it was during the dot-com. And, you know, I was, I'm into movies. I love them, but I hated Blockbuster, right? And so you and me both know Blockbuster. Some kids who listen to this will be like, what the hell is that? That's true. Um, this is where we went, kids, and we got tapes, and then we put them in VCRs, and we listened to mo- or watch movies. And so you had to drive them back, and it turns out I'm very poor at that. <laughs> so I accumulated a lot of fees. But I was a good programmer. Um, I had some foresight, and I picked up this paper, and uh, it was like 99. So there's a paper written in 1993 by some Verizon scientists about using ADSL, um, asynchronous DSL, to deliver high-speed video. And they called the system video on demand. And I thought, yeah. how great is that? I don't have to do pay-per-view, which means you have to wait until the exact time to go watch a movie, right? Or you miss right. it. Or I don't have to go to Blockbuster and turn videos because you know, campus networks were incredibly fast at the time for the time, right? Fast as you, you could, could find, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you, you you know, going from that dial-up AOL world, which you know, I used to pick on Steve, uh, Case, and, and Ted Leonsis about that that ringing noise or whatever. Yes. Um, but uh, you know, going from that, that inspired me. I'm like, wait. We were watching movies. We were using Napster, all these other things. What if you could stream it? So I built a system with um, my friend Matt Keeson, and we were going to start a company. But then the bottom you, you fell out. You basically created Netflix. I mean, the the, the well, Netflix as it is today. About being yeah. angry about the you know the the late fee, and I'm going to you know send movies over. You you, you kind of created Netflix. That we had. I'll tell you something even crazier, and this is about how important timing is. It's my earlier point. I and Matt. You know, we built this. We started, you know, building from the ground up, and we're looking at this, uh, you know, system. And I looked at Netflix as, and I didn't even look at them as a comp. I got, I was like, these guys are jokers. They're sending DVDs. They're right. they're in the past. They're still they don't in the even mail. get it. Yeah. They don't even get it, right? And that is to me one of the. I, I remember that lesson. And I'll never forget it. The timing was right. So they raised money for a business model that could work and be funded at that time, which got them to the point where they were when streaming became cost efficient such that they were in a position that they could be there they are now. And that is why Netflix is successful. It's not, you know, they were at the right place at the right time, then they leveraged up to get the right place later and they kept moving. Much like Amazon, remember? Yeah. There's just books. And now right. they're like one of the largest cloud computing companies on earth. Who would have called that? Yes, you almost don't think of Amazon as buying a place to buy books anymore. That's where they it's started. like Google. It's Google. Yeah, they do everything. It is totally right? Google. It's it's Google and it's a cloud company. And and um, you know, I think the timing and, and having like a long view is something that that taught me. So bottom dropped out. And then my professor who was sponsoring that said, well, we're not going to do a company. No one's going to fund you. You probably won't even get a job. So, um, but you have a good senior project. <laughs> so it is hard to describe to people who didn't live through it. The dot-com bust, people outside of perhaps Silicon Valley or, or outside of tech, because you were in Pittsburgh, um, just abandon technology altogether. You could have had the next Google, the next Uber, the next Facebook, the next whatever. But if you tried to do it uh, during the dot-com bust, nobody was interested. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, for me. Now, I, 
everyone had an experience. I don't think my experience was, you know, dissimilar from people my age, but, um, you know, from my vantage point, it was, it was like the biggest tease of all time. So here I am, I'm a kid from Pittsburgh. My parents are immigrants. I thought there's like four jobs you get after school. Cause I didn't know anything. My parents just, they didn't know they, they're like, you should be a doctor or something highly accredited. Right. When I switched into computer science, my mom like cried, you know, she literally was like, Oh, if you want to go build bridges and, you know, make $30,000 a year, then go do that. But it's, you know, you're not going to make any money. And, and, and it was really traumatic for her, I think. And, and she was, you know, she's supportive. Um, and she's, she's amazing, but it was, it was hard for her. She didn't see it. I go to Penn and I know, I don't know if you know Josh Koppelman, who was the founder sure. of First Round. Josh Koppelman came in, did a lecture with a guy named Andy Ratcliffe. Andy Ratcliffe found a benchmark. Okay. I'm sitting in there, 19 years old. I think a banker is a bank teller. That's where I'm at intellectually and from an experience perspective. And I go see these two guys. Josh looks like a kid. You know, he's got a cherubic kind of young face anyway. And at the time, he'd sold half.com to eBay. And Andy, was the venture capitalist that funded eBay. Well, first of all, I didn't invest in eBay. My firm did. My name is Andy Ratcliffe. I'm a retired venture capitalist. I am very involved at my undergrad alma mater, Penn, as a trustee and as a chair of a number of different committees there. But I also come in and guest lecture. So I do it because I want to give back. I have a life well beyond anything I could ever imagine because of those two institutions. And I love to help those students achieve their goals. It literally changed his life and changed the direction of his life. You have to hear the stories of success in order for you to gain confidence that you might be able to do it yourself. And I see these two guys, young, fresh, like, and I'm like, you're allowed to do this? (laughs) You're allowed to make stuff? These guys are young, People are spending millions of dollars. They're allowed to, and, and technologists were in the forefront. I always, you know, thought I didn't know what we were, you know, because I, I programmed since I was twelve. But right. you know, I remember I, I learned the internet and browser stuff from Mosaic. I remember I met Mark Andreessen. I'm like, dude, thank you, because if you wouldn't have built Mosaic, I wouldn't have learned about the internet and I wouldn't have got hooked on this stuff. But that was my moment. That was when I realized this is what I want to do. Then they took it away, and the bottom dropped out. Your first big successful company was was Add This, which you sold to Oracle. Um, when I'm sure your mother at this point understands that you and computer science are going to work out and that, it's, that things are going to be okay. But do you recall the phone call to, to your mother when you, when you sold your company for, I was what, a couple hundred million, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, it was up there. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, our culture is, you, you can't, you have to be very, um, humble, you know, with your parents. So I, I couldn't call her, but like, Hey mom, guess what? I, I sold it for X. And, um, she, you know, I, I let her know, actually, you know, it's interesting. My mom really believes in us in a, you know, like any mother does, but in a, in a very deep way. And she at the time was almost a little bit like, Hey, you know, like you can keep going, like keep pushing, you know, she actually, I almost, you know, shut down the company many times, uh, very early in the history. And my mom would be like, no, no, you can't do it. Can't quit. We're not quitting. So as much as she was afraid, she had a deep underlying conviction, both in my potential, but in the power of will and just keeping going. So I think for her, actually, she was kind of hoping I wouldn't do it. And then when I saw, I mean, she said, you know, if it was better for me, ultimately she supported me, but it was, it was a mixed bag actually when I called her. And then it was funny. She said, okay, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to go back and get your PhD? You know, I think we even talked about Google at some point. 
um, because she just didn't have a sense. Like, what do you, what does one do after that? And I was like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think I need to do that. Um, I would go back for my PhD. It's interesting to me academically, I, I, even as an adult. But <laughs> I, she was thinking, oh my gosh, you don't have a job. What are you going to do? That's right. what she thought. You just sold your company for, for a couple hundred million, but you don't have a job. Yes. No, literally. That's what she thought. And she doesn't want me to start burning my money because I, I took some time I off. I would worry uh, as the as the parent of two very young adults, uh, if they came into that kind of money, uh, I would I think I would be pleased for them. Uh, but I think I would worry about them too. Yeah. I think she had the appropriate amount of concern, a little bit colored by an immigrant experience, right? The sure. defense that most immigrants will play in particular professionals, you go to school, you go to um, a marquee. And if they don't, yeah. if they don't, if they don't know uh, what the professions are, okay, go work at Google. That's a brand I understand. It used to be Microsoft when, my, when I was younger, right? Everyone wanted to work at Microsoft. Although Microsoft's back again. So yes, it is cool very much so. So who, who would have called that? You, you take the money and you begin to, to, to invest. Uh, you're a very early investor in Convoy. Uh, and, and two of your fellow investors are Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, Convoy was was an interesting experience, has been. And um, I'm unbelievably impressed with what they've built. I remember we got the domain name for them. They were originally called Graypoint. And uh, oh. Dan and Grant came and yeah, spoke with us because at Expo, you know, the firm where I'd you know, been a founding partner with uh, Garrett Camp, who founded Uber, mm-hmm. you know, Uber. Okay, well, this is the new version of logistics, right? So who better to work with than the person that built the model, which inspired so many other models? I, I learned so much, but you know, as an as a investor, the beauty is you see these entrepreneurs, I mean, thousands of people work at Convoy. Billions of dollars are moving around as a result. And you know, started with two guys with, with a, a slide deck. Um, so it's pretty, you know, people like that, the sweet green team was another one that I was very impressed with from early on. They're going public you this know, year. Explain sweet green. First of all, what is sweet green? So sweet green is, uh, I would say a lifestyle, healthy lifestyle brand where, uh, you know, they, they sell healthy food at accessible it's a prices. Restaurant. Yeah. And, and their starting point is they have a retail chain, which is rapidly expanding around the country. But if you talk to the founders, I think, you know, they're much more than that. I mean, it's a brand that people affiliate with on their lifestyle. They're going to have products that they can sell. Eventually you could just like Starbucks has uh, products that you might see outside of Starbucks in stores, you know, those little right. espresso cans and whatnot. I think you could, you could see sweet green getting into that. Um, I would say they're probably some of the best brand marketers on planet earth um, I've ever seen. The hesitation I have is, you know, I would love to have been an early investor in Starbucks. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but that, you know, oftentimes the investments go into things that can easily scale very, very quickly. Uh, Uber being an example of that. Retail and restaurants, uh, th- those are harder to scale. I, I agree. It was a longer road. I mean, you know, it's been years to the IPO. I mean, from a returns perspective, it worked out because I was, you know, early enough. Luckily, the team included me on the journey, right? Because It'll go out at multiple billion dollars if it goes public, and I got in it, you know, very little. <laughs> so uh, that, for me, from an economics perspective, it worked out. But to your point, um, it take it took twice as long. Now, here's what's interesting about Sweetgreen, and and uh, for me, I invested in another company called Spice, and Spice was based out of uh, Boston, a bunch of MIT grads. Now, Spice had a similar vision to Sweetgreen with respect to, hey, how do we make healthy eating accessible at a low price point, but a different execution path? 
they built a robot because they're out of MIT, of course. Of course. That would actually make bowls and they could do cold bowls and warm bowls. Now, took them years. Like they took the technology out of MIT. They built this thing out. They ended up, um, you know, deploying it in one or two of their own restaurants. Why does that matter? Well, they can fundamentally change the cost structure because, as you know, the gross margin structure in restaurants. I think the biggest revolution in gross margin in restaurants was McDonald's. You went from, you know, fine dining and it was like you know three to five percent and very very bespoke. But the McDonald's uh, folks, the innovation was we're going to run this like a lean manufacturing plant mm-hmm. and do some. And, and it's, I mean, McDonald's to me is unbelievable as a company. You can have a burger in Tokyo at three in the morning or one in San Francisco at two in the afternoon, tastes the same. That is magical that they can pull that off at the scale that they do. But Sweetgreen now has bought Spice, and they're doing, and they're gonna now start rolling this out. So I would watch, and I challenge you to look at this in five years if they're successful. This is gonna, you'll see a step function like when McDonald's kind of innovated in fine dining. Sweetgreen is gonna have something similar, and it's gonna be a technology room company. And I don't know how people are gonna catch up with them after that. I will refer back to this in five years. Yeah, the, take it out. One of the things you're working on now is collective, which helps you know very small companies or, or companies of one person, contractors, that kind of thing, uh, deal with these sorts of of, of issues. Uh, uh, getting, um, I would assume, accountants and and other help all through the computer, right? That's right. That's right. So, you know, I had been a founder before obviously with add this and it served small businesses, large businesses, you know, we have 15 million customers at scale. And I, and at, at Expa, you know, with Garrett and team, I had a great opportunity because I could be a founder supporting founders, but it was a lot more bespoke, personalized, you know, we brought capital, but we also helped launch and build a number of different companies. Um, and I, I, as much as I enjoyed that, and it is a privilege, honestly, to work with the founders, you learn so much and to be part of their journey, it's humbling. I miss that operational building, you know, being there hand to hand with customers, and I miss the scale of it. You know, I was dealing with millions of customers. Now I'm, you know, over ten years, maybe I have twenty, thirty, and and again, I love it, but I miss that piece. Collective was kind of is the perfect intersection of my my past lives, because what's happening in the world, and and I'm sure you're aware of this, and have friends that are doing this. Thirty six percent of the United States has freelanced or run their own business. That is shifting to 50%. And obviously with COVID and whatnot, there's an accelerant towards that shift. Our vision is pretty simple at Collective. We want to make what we call these businesses one, whether they're freelancers, consultants, but parents, like my, my doctors, like my parents. My parents were both solopreneurs. I never thought right. of them that way. They yeah, they're, they're business people, even right. though they're physicians. Yes. They run their own and they would be my customer. And uh, how can we make them more financially successful? Simple. Let them focus on their passion not their paperwork. My mom, next version of her comes over, doesn't speak English. The United States is not easy to run a business. You have to incorporate, you have to do taxes, you have accounting, bookkeeping, a lot you have to do. You have to do it right. Bad news. If you don't do it right, you, you can lose money and you can shut down your business. Worse news. If you get it right, you don't get points on the board. You still have to run your business. Right. And so um, for us, you know, we look at the, the entrepreneurs as Batman and we're Robin. We're in the background. We're trying to help them out. And I hope we can leverage it to benefit all these founders because I'm telling you, when we get on the phone with them, when we do a great job, we're really making a difference in people's lives. Like during COVID, you know, there were people that were crying. Their business was shutting down. So we didn't charge them for months. They applied to us. We gave them credit for three months. We'll do your taxes. Don't worry about it. We did it. And uh, it came out of our pocket. I'm proud of that. 
Um, but you know, when we mess up, like last tax season, we we grew really quickly. I mean, the demand's unbelievable. We have, you know, almost thirty thousand people that are waiting. They want to sign up for the service, and so. Um, but we tried to grow as fast as we could, and we we went over our skis a bit. And a few people, you know, things were delayed. Didn't have the great experience. It hurts. It hurts us because, you know, you know how it is. I'm sure it's your money. And if someone that the person who's handling your your taxes doesn't get back to you as fast as possible, you know, you're, you're upset. So it's like Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. We, we got to keep leveling up. I suppose I should end by asking you, which Spider-Man of all the many, many, many Spider-Mans is the best Spider-Man movie? Oh, man, that's a tough one. Um, I uh, oh, What's the best Spider-Man movie? I will, I will say, I don't know. I don't know. So the thing is like, for me, I mean, I don't know if you remember this because I'm a comic geek, but do you remember what like the old eighties movies when Marvel tried to initially start off with these like Spider-Man shows and they were like pretty grungy. Pretty cheesy. And yeah. So as soon as, soon as Tobey Maguire came in, I was just blown away because for the first time, my imagination was painted on the screen, right? I had been in comics. I had loved them and I could see it. I, I just, people didn't, dream the way I was dreaming about it, which I understand. And then for the first time, they put great actors, big budget, CGI. So Tobey Maguire and his, his has a place in my heart because it unlocked, it opened up the world to the world that I lived in. I, and I felt like I, I could be a community with them. My fiance and I watch all the Marvel movies and we love them. So I do love that. But the new Spider-Man, I got to say, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. I actually own uh, Amazing Fantasy 15. I bought it. Uh, I love, I love, I love, I'm a huge comic geek. So it's one of my most treasured uh, possessions uh, guarded with my life. So when you're, when you're, when your mother was worried about, you know, you coming into sudden wealth that, that, that you bought a comic book. <laughs> I, 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 I'm not going to lie to you. I have more than one. Yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I have more than one. I'm sure you do. And does yeah, your mother, yeah. with, with, with the success of Collective, does your mother still wish you worked at Google? You know, I haven't asked her. Um, I'm I'm actually going to see her this week, and I'll I'll ask her. But um, I think my mom and my dad at this point want us to be happy, want us to have families, want us to be well adjusted, um, and they've shifted away from the basic needs part of parents. I'm not a parent yet. I I, I hope to be soon, um, but uh, I think they've shifted to that, and they just want us to make sure we're you know when when kids are younger, at least the treatment we got was. Do they wanted to make sure we were on our own? We're okay. You know, you're on your mm-hmm. your own two feet. Once they kind of get past that, okay, it's do you have some sort of lifestyle that's sustainable? And I think, look, candidly, the feedback I get is you work too hard, right? Because I, I work 80 hours a week sometimes. And um, you know, it was one thing when I was 25, but you know, I'm not 25 anymore. So it's a little bit harder, you know. I'm a little more road worn. <laughs> <laughs> but they sound like good parents. No, they're 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 great. They're great, and uh, but very classically immigrant parents. Like a lot of, you know, my friends who who come from India or you know other countries, we we often swap stories. And there's a there truly is a pattern amongst them. And I think there's a, you know, I'm a huge proponent of immigration in the United States, in particular around STEM. And um, I think some of the things that um, these parents are doing to push those kids and create, you know, that desire to succeed, that desire to build, the desire to prove themselves in this country is helping the country. And I hope that we continue to do it. I mean, if I had my druthers, every single top STEM school, I'd stamp a visa. I'd just yep. give it to them. And we should do that because I'm telling you, when I was in grad school, kids were begging for visas. I went to speak at, um, you know, I spoke at Carnegie Mellon, I've lectured at Stanford, Berkeley. They're going home now because I, they I've can always, go to India. 
I, can go to India and start a company now. Right. The, 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 the genius of America is it's like picking, you know, a soccer team on the playground in which instead of, you know, I, I pick one, you pick one, I pick a kid, you pick a kid, uh, I get to pick the first 15. Uh, and my soccer team is going to beat you every time. You're right. You're right. And I think the edge that we have, and again, I think people need to objectively look at the United States. Yes, is China a rising um, competitor and we need to take it seriously? Yes. Is the world different? It's not going to be the United States only anymore. And we can, that can be a good thing for us. Sure. But it's still the freest place. It's still the best place to do business. The values of this country are really, really deep. And if we can invest in what's just made us great, which is to your point, and I love that analogy, the best of the best will come through this place. Let's keep them. Let's keep them here. Let's let's make sure that they get to be citizens. Um, let's move forward and let's not confuse. I mean, we're a nation of immigrants. Nobody in this country has been here. I mean, I'm I'm living in San Francisco. You know, the Asian American population there, which has recently experienced issues. They have some of the folks there. I'm gonna talk to a woman. She's been there longer than most people. Her family's been there three, four generations since like mm-hmm. after the railroad. They have houses mm-hmm. all over the Bay Area. They're they're more American than me. Uh, in, in that regard, right? And so I think I think it's a feature and we need to keep investing in it. It's tough. I know I know we have uh, we have some things to do in the country, but again, I'm very long in America. I know we started with this. I'm gonna end with it. Best place in the world to work and build. Uh, I'm also a contrarian believer in the valley still, I guess. I used to be not. It's everyone <laughs> thought the valley. Um, I'm all about remote work, but I think Silicon Valley is you're you're gonna continue to see amazing things coming out of Silicon Valley. And the rest of the world gets to do it too. So that's great. Let's do it. Human Radfer, venture partner investor at Expa, and co-founder and CEO of Collective, which recently closed a $20 million Series A. Sandhill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world.